This episode of Ragcast Outdoors is brought to you by PK Lures, Bow Spider, and High Mountain Seasonings. Fish on! Hey, Radcast is on! Hunting, fishing, and everything in between. This is Radcast Outdoors. Here are David Merrill and Patrick Edwards. Cody Prather, welcome to the Radcast Outdoors podcast. How you doing? Oh, I'm golden, man. I'm in Pennsylvania right now, far away from my normal Texas and about 30 degrees cooler. I'm loving it. <laughs> I was going to say July in Texas has got to be pretty hot. So you're probably enjoying not getting baked down in Texas. I'm loving it. I mean, we're still sweating. It's still hot. It's still different, but it's nothing like what the reports we keep hearing. Everybody, Everybody's just sweating and melting and uh, we sent my stepdaughter back on an airplane yesterday and uh, sent her with a whole bunch of chocolate from the Hershey factory here in Pennsylvania, Hershey, Pennsylvania, and waiting to hear the report if it even made it back home or if it <laughs> melted all in her bag. It probably turned into <laughs> a big pile of goo. <laughs> yeah, but you know what? That's not my problem. I let her deal with that. That's a, If God says you don't need to eat this chocolate, then he melted it. If she gets to eat it, you know, we'll call it a blessing. Or you just eat the big pile. You like throw it in the freezer and reconstitute it back to chocolate, right? See, I like that. I like that <laughs> attitude. I mean, that's the no quit attitude. You know, we weren't created to be quitters. I'm not uh, a quitter. I'd eat that too. I like it. It's probably why I weigh an extra 20 pounds right now is because I think that way, but it's okay. <laughs> no, you earned it. Hey man, it's, it's great to have you on the show. Uh, my buddy, Bobby Chipwood, he said, Hey, I know this guy. And you should really have him on your podcast, and that's how you and I hooked up. So, Bobby, thank you for uh, putting Cody and I together. I appreciate that. But um, it's a small world, it is, man. And and you know, Bobby's just a really cool guy. And so, I'm glad that he put us together because we both care a lot about fishing. And so, we're going to obviously talk about that a little bit today. But if you can, just kind of introduce yourself to the audience, tell them kind of your background, where you're from and those kind of things. Oh gosh, I don't know. There's a lot to talk about. Um, I don't even know what I do and, and where I'm at and what's going on. Uh, um, background, <laughs> born and raised Texan for the most part, um, you know, grew up fishing and hunting and, um, and playing and got into uh, camera work and um, at probably 15 started running cameras, um, and having fun, worked my way through, um, television stations and got a job in the outdoors and started running around with cameras, filming wildlife all over the world. Um, been to Africa, um, New Zealand several times, three or four times to New Zealand filming red stags and, um, the, the, um, chamois and tar and, um, everything up there in those mountains and all over Alaska and Canada and uh, Wyoming and um, all through the Northwest. And um, now do mostly fishing. Now I'm running cameras for major league fishing, um, help build the Hobie BOS kayak tournaments, a big national series for kayak tournaments. Love kayak fishing. Absolutely love kayak fishing. And um just watching this whole sport grow and finding new ways to get people introduced to the outdoors, um, finding new ways for people to get out on the water, to go catch fish, to get off the bank and get out um, into some other areas. And basically just finding ways for people to go and have adventures. And a lot of that is done through the camera work opportunities that, that I have with, um, with bass professionals through major league fishing and um, collegiate events with the, uh, um, Carico TV, we do a lot of work with them, um, and walleye tournaments. And, uh, you know, basically if there's a tournament, I'm going to be filming it. That's where I'm at now. Um, I still do a lot in the hunting industry. Um, mostly whitetail hunts these days, no more big adventures. I'm getting a little old and out of shape. It's harder to run up and down those mountains than, than <laughs> it was when I was 20. But, um, you know, that's kind of where I'm at right now. And I love to fish. I love to hunt. I love to, um, be involved in all of that stuff. But I've learned that you get into the industry because you love that stuff and then you don't get to do it quite as much. But my joy is really in introducing kids and, and new people to the outdoors. And, you know, and it's been an adventure. The Lord's really taken me on an adventure all over the world. And now he's opened up the door for me to start fish, a ministry fisherman's fellowship, uh, which we do a lot of, of meetings at the at kayak tournaments. 
and then kind of a church service, if, I guess, um, for, for kayakers at these tournaments and um, an online presence with, uh, with Facebook. And we're growing from there. Um, but anyway, to get people introduced to the outdoors, because I think God's creation is where, where he is. I mean, that's where I see him. That's where I find him. I think it's so easy to just look outside and see creation and just see the maker in that. Um, and it speaks to, to everybody's heart to be out there and do that. And people don't know how to do it. So it's intimidating, but just simple things of putting a, putting a worm on a hook and throwing it out there and letting a kid catch a perch can change the course of his life. So that's what I'm into for the most part. The camera work is a, is a great opportunity to meet new people, um, go to new places and, uh, and experience different parts of the outdoors. Um, and it pays the bills. Um, and I love it. And I love the people I work with, but I really, really love getting people into the outdoors. And that's one of the big pushes for doing this podcast in the first place was to get more people doing this because it is fun. And mm -hmm. like you said, you do have that connection when you go out like that picture in my background, you know, it's like going up into the Wind River Mountains and hiking around and seeing just the glorious creation that's all around us. There's nothing better than that. And being able to spend mm -hmm. time out there with friends and just soaking it up, it's just, it's an experience all its own. And I want to talk a little bit to start, you know, we'll kind of go through all those things, but to start, let's talk about kayak fishing. So I've noticed it over the last few years, especially like it has exploded. I think COVID just kind of like put the afterburner on kayak fishing and made it even bigger just because, you know, people were trying to get outside. They were desperate to get out of the house, go do something. And they're not going to go buy a hundred plus thousand dollar bass boat. Right. And mm -hmm. a kayak's a great way to do it. And plus, I mean, you're a lot more connected with the area you're fishing when you're in a kayak because you don't have much choice you can't just burn fuel and run you know five miles up you know whatever lake or river yeah. or whatever you're on so can you talk a little bit about the kind of the emergence of kayak fishing and kayak tournaments and kind of what you've seen over the past few years yeah um first thing is um you're behind the curve you're just late to the game <laughs> kayak fishing's been blowing up for the last 10 years um, and we're glad you finally got here um, and we're still, we're still finding more and more people to, to come in. Um, but the tournament scene really has exploded, um, just here in the last couple of years. Mm -hmm. Um, but what's, what's happening is people are realizing that, that you've got, um, you've got the guy who's standing on the bank, who's, who's casting, who's looking to the other side of the river going, I really wish I could get over there. I bet you I could catch a fish over there. So how do you get there? Well, you go buy a boat, you go buy a canoe or you go buy a kayak. Um, and a kayak really seems to be the easiest way to get one person out there on the, on the water. And it's, uh, it's a place where, um, I don't know, I feel like it's the easiest accessible, safest way to go and go and fish that other side of the bank or go and fish that offshore hump or that Island or that place that you can't normally reach. Or if you want to go cover water or do a float trip, um, it, it, it just opens up so many more opportunities um, to fishing, even more opportunities than what a bass boat will do in a lot of situations. Bass boat you, or any boat, you can go and cover a lot of water and you spend all your time running around. You don't spend your time fishing and you hit the nail on the head with the intimacy of, of kayak fishing. You get to learn one area very intimately because you can't just pick up and run and go someplace. And I think you learn more about fishing that way because you don't just say, oh, well, these fish aren't biting anymore. Let's go try another spot. No, you have to follow those fish as they transition throughout the day. And you learn how to catch them in the morning when the bite's on fire. And then there's a lull. There can be a lull. And you, um, you learn patience to stick it out because those fish will start biting again or they're transitioning to another place. And so you get to figure all of that out as well. And you just have that real intimate connection with, with the water and the fish and the outdoors um, that I think gets lost a lot of times when you're going 70 miles an hour across the lake. Um, but don't let me discourage you from getting a bass boat or a walleye boat or whatever it is that you want to go and do that. You go experience the outdoors, however you want to, as long as you're out there, as long as you can see God in it, you go do, you go do you. Um, the other, another great aspect about kayak fishing is the guys who don't want to have the hundred thousand dollar bass boats, um, or walleye boats or pontoon boats or whatever. I mean, the prices of these boats are not going down. They're going up and up and up. Motors are getting harder to find. Motors prices are going up. Everything else is hard. So 
the people who who are not um, wanting to spend that kind of money are able to come back down or they sell their bass boat because you can get a premium price for a boat right now and get into kayaking. And the competition for kayak tournaments has really exploded um, over over the last couple of years. And I don't know if COVID had something to do with it. Um, I think it's just the natural progression more of of the sport. But um, for the Hobie BOS Bass Open Series, um, which if you want to look that up, that's HobieBOS.com. I'll give you all the information you need for those tournaments. Um, but these are upper level, high end tournaments. So guys who had bass boats but don't want to put the cost into into that, you know, everybody knows what boat stands for. Break out another thousand. <laughs> you know, you want to save money. Like for me, I can afford a boat, but I can only afford gas for a kayak. You know, that's leg power. I can afford leg power. But the competition, we're maxing out tournaments. We have a two hundred angler max on our on our tournaments. And, and we've been maxing out a lot of them this year. You know, last year in places where we had 120 anglers show up, we've, we have 200 anglers and a waiting list. So the sport, you're right. It is. It is growing big time. The tournament side of it is growing big time because we all have this push and this need and this desire for competition. Not everybody, but you start getting out there and you, you see how, how big boater tournaments are and people want to do the... Um, um, they want to keep with the competition and kayaks offer you the best bet to, to go and do that. So we are seeing growth there, but we're also seeing an influx of people just really wanting to get out on the water. Kayak sales have been through the roof. They haven't been able to keep a lot of them in stock. And plus with the shortage of, of manufacturing during COVID with, you can't just can't get parts for things. You know, there has been a shortage of kayaks. And so when people can get them, they're, they're using them. And I see a lot more of them out there on the water every day, every time I'm out there. So it's really encouraging to me to see people go out there and do that. And that's really near to my heart, um, building kayak tournaments because I love competition. That's the warrior mentality. I call it of me. I want to, I want to go into battle somehow, some way. And we created the Hobie tournaments because, um, it was the tournaments that we wanted to fish. And then my friend, AJ McWhorter been running those the last four years. And, um, and then this year I've stepped back in to help, um, tournament direct some of those you know that's where i'm at right now susquehanna river and in, in pennsylvania right outside of harrisburg pennsylvania and we have a sold out tournament coming up at the end of the month so we'll have 200 <laughs> anglers out out floating down the, the susquehanna river so the the part that's really kind of cool to me that's appealing is you know i used to have a nitro 190 dc right like pretty big mm-hmm. boat and when you're towing one of those around, like you're burning a lot more fuel with your truck. Like it, it costs a lot of money to transport a boat that's that heavy, those big fiberglass boats. And the cool thing about a kayak is I can throw it in the back of my truck. I could strap it to the top of my car or whatever, mm-hmm. and I can get out there pretty inexpensively, drop in and, you know, start fishing. And so I was wondering if you could talk a little bit about just, some of the essential gear and maybe some of those, like if someone wanted to get started in kayak fishing, obviously Hobie is the big name and they've got some really expensive options for kayaks, mm-hmm. but then you've got some more basic models. So can you talk about like how a person, like if they were to get into kayak fishing, what would they want to look at and what would they want to think about and consider before doing that? Kayak fishing is, is, um, an every man's sport. You can get in for a hundred bucks. You can get in for $10,000. Where do you want to start? You've got basically two different kayaks. You've got sit-inside kayaks, um, which are more paddling kayaks, more recreational kayaks. And you've got the sit-on-top kayaks, which are a little bit better geared towards fishing. A lot of times your, your sit-inside kayaks will not have rod holders, but you they might have two built-in rod holders. And the same thing for your sit-on-top uh, kayaks. And so you need to look at a kayak and think about, okay, how am I going to get rods in here? And what kind of fishing do you want to do? And how much money do you want to put into it? The glory days of kayak fishing, I'll say probably 10 years ago, we used to call, call kayakers PVC pirates because everything was manufactured out of PVC. And there was just this wealth of creativity of, of people building, you know, rod holder racks across the back of their kayaks, you know, all out of PVC pipe because it's lightweight handles the water well. And then um, for tackle boxes, people would go get milk crates and then you would just fit your tackle 
um, your little plastic uh, Plano tackle boxes in, in those milk crates and you could grab all of that stuff, you know, so you can really get into it very inexpensively. And the, the kayak that you get just depends on what you, what you really want. I mean, I say, go and start with something basic. Look at the seat. The big difference in your price ranges are going to have to do a lot with your seat and how long you're going to want to sit in those. Because a lot of these kayaks are hard. They're not meant for you to go and sit for eight hours fishing. And so the seats kind of reflect that. Now you can go and spend a full day, but you're going to be walking around a little hunched over, you know, <laughs> trying to stretch it out when you get off the water. Because when I take people out, I tend to hop in, in the lesser kayak and give them the Cadillac or the, you know, the Hobie, give them the, the high-end kayak. But I mean, you can accessorize these things as much as you want to. There are so many accessories out there to mount rod holders, to mount um, fish finders, to mount um, whatever it is that you want. I mean, we put motors on the back of them now. Torquedo um, is a big sponsor of, of Hobie um, BOS tournament, and they, they have um, motors that you can, you can mount on the back of them. Now, we don't allow you to use those during competition, but you can use them pre-fishing. But you can put trolling motors on, on a lot of these kayaks. And I mean, you can go all the way up to, you know, $5,000 kayaks before they get rigged out. And then you can go and put motors on them and electronics and power poles, you know, power pole is a shallow water anchor. You hit a button and it, um, a spike drops down on the back of your kayak and you're stuck in place. That's a great way to, to fish some of these rivers when you're pedaling up or paddling up a river and you catch a fish and it starts dragging you all over the place and put that power pole down, you know, you can get as extreme as you want. But the biggest tournament I ever won was in a little paddle kayak that had a horrible seat, was beat up. I think I had like four or five rods with me, a net with a hole in it. And I won like $5,000, <laughs> almost $5,000 in a, in a kayak tournament. And I couldn't hardly go anywhere. I just went and I sat in the one spot and got out of the wind. And that's where the fish were. So you can, you can win a kayak tournament. You can go catch fish. You can do things out of a $200 kayak and still be competitive and still have fun and joy out on the water. And a lot of these places, rivers and stuff, you're going to want to get out and walk around anyways and drag your kayak and fish from the bank. And, um, you know, your kayak may just be to get you from point A to point B. Mm -hmm. So, you know, there's really a lot of options. I could talk for hours on different ways to rig kayaks and, and things like that, but, um, it's, that's the beauty of it. I mean, hundred bucks, get on, um, Facebook marketplace or, you know, start calling around buddies and looking at thrift shops. I mean, tractor supply has, has kayaks now, Walmart, I mean, big box stores, you can go and get one. And as long as it floats, you're going to be able to fish out of it. This portion of the podcast is brought to you by PK lures. If you're like me, you're probably out on the water pursuing your favorite fish this time of year. Open water season is the most fun for me. And I always have PK lures in my tackle box ready to go for my fishing trips. Some of the ones that I would recommend for this time of year, the PK Spinajig. If you're a jig fisherman, it's a must have. It adds extra flash to your jig. You can tip it with anything you want and it is downright effective for trout, walleye, panfish, and bass. The other thing I'd recommend is if you like to troll, there's a lot of options for that as well. My kids and I have done really well on the Ridgeline crankbait this season. We've caught a ton of different trout and also a lot of walleye. So that's a great option as well. If you like to troll crawler harness type options, the PK Wobbler and PK Dakota Disc have always been a go-to bait for me. So you can check all these out and much more at pklure.com. Again, pklure.com. Back to the show. Yeah. And so out here in the West, you know, people have been doing kayak fishing for quite a while. Right. Mm -hmm. But I can tell you up until two years ago, I hardly ever saw a kayak. And I think it's because we get the wind so bad here in Wyoming. We call it the big W because mm -hmm. when it comes up, you don't want to be out on some of these places in a kayak, like, especially like our bigger reservoirs, like Flaming Gorge or Boyson, mm -hmm. or, you know, like you would, you would not be in for a fun ride that's for sure um <laughs> but i've noticed like the last couple of years especially a lot more people are doing it and so they're they're like you know walleye fishermen here you know they'll focus on like a little bay or a little inlet or a little outlet and they'll really spend the time and they actually do really well because mm -hmm. they're so focused on that little piece of water and so i wondered if you could talk a little bit about how 
kayak fishing has maybe made you a better fisherman and made you kind of notice things that maybe you didn't notice before, maybe when you were in a bass boat? Yeah. The biggest thing for me on that is I've noticed, um, fishing kayak tournaments there. A lot of times there'll be bass boat tournaments going on at the same time. And so I'll be fishing a little area and the boaters will come blowing in and they'll go and they'll fish a specific spot and then they'll turn around. They'll be gone in three minutes. If they really hang around, they're there 10 minutes and then they're gone. And we've noticed that the weights for, for the kayak tournaments, we do, it goes off a length. So the weights don't exactly match up, but, um, our estimated weights are typically the same or sometimes greater than what the boater tournaments bring in because you sit in an area and you know that there are fish there and you wait for those fish to turn on and you have confidence in that area where a lot of bass boaters, they, they blow in, they don't get a bite and then they start scrambling. So it really just slows you down and, uh, and it allows you to build confidence in a small area. Like you're talking about with the walleye guys, they, they can go and stay in one bay and really focus on that one bay. And so you figure those fish out and you wait them out. And you, when you know that those fish are going to have bite windows, they're going to feed at certain times. And so if you're there and you're ready for it, when they start feeding, then, you know, you reap the benefits of that. If you're running all over the place, a lot of times, you know, you get, they call it a bad rotation. It's what the pros will, will talk about sometimes a bad rotation. So that means you go and you hit an area and you're getting there either right before their bite window starts or right after and you're, if you're in a bad rotation, every place that you go that you know has fish, you're just going to miss those bite windows. And you think, oh, well, I wonder what's going on. Well, what's going on is you just miss that time. And we learn that as kayak anglers because we can't go anywhere. And you learn that those fish are going to turn on and they're going to start biting. And so if you have that patience, you learn a lot of patience mm-hmm. in, in fishing. And you learn, um, you know, certain areas like you can you can really learn how to make some meat runs, you know, for walleye or crappie or whatever. Cause like, well, they're biting at this point in time and it'll change a little bit throughout the days, but you kind of get a, get an idea of when you can get out there, really catch some fish and maximize your time in certain areas. Yeah. Um, but also, you know, you don't spin out. This portion of the podcast is brought to you by high mountain seasonings. It's that time of year. If you're fishing, you're out in the field, you're catching a lot of fish and you need some good fish brine to smoke up those trout fillets, you can go to highmountainjerky.com or himtnjerky.com. And it's also that time of year to stock up before hunting season. So if you need the absolute best jerky seasoning on the market, you can check out their jerky seasoning kits. They're very easy to do no matter whether you're doing whole muscle meat or ground jerky. They've got everything that you need. If you want to cook fish like on a pan sear fish or cook duck or pheasant or whatever you're cooking, they have the seasoning for you. So again, go check out our friends at High Mountain Jerky. You can go to himtnjerky.com and check out all their different options. Now back to the show. Yeah, when I was a kid, I didn't have a boat. And so most of my younger years, I was in a set of waders. You know, that so I was kind of limited, right? I couldn't go really far out. I could go up to my chest waders, you know, whatever depth that was at that particular age, you know, as I grew up. But the thing I learned about that is exactly what you're talking about. I couldn't just run across the lake. I couldn't go a quarter mile up the shoreline very easily. Like it was a big investment if I had to trudge out and go around and, and do that. So I learned how to really focus on an area, focus on structure, focus on, you know, bite windows. Like you said, you kind of learned like, especially for walleye, like 10 o'clock seems to be a good time. I don't know why, Mm -hmm. but 10 o'clock is good. Two o'clock is good. Like there's just certain times through the day, where you notice that the fish start to really get their feedback on. But I think kayak fishing is cool in that way too. Like you can cover a little more area, but the other really cool part that I think is neat about kayak fishing is you're so stealthy because I see a lot of boat anglers, they blow into an area too hard and the fish are like conditioned to this, right? They're like, oh crap, you know, somebody's Mm -hmm. here, they're trying to catch me. Whereas with a kayak, you can slip in there real quiet. And, you know, you can start working in an area. Can you talk a little bit about that? Because I think stealth is also a huge advantage of kayak fishing. It definitely is a huge uh, advantage. And it's it's really cool. What comes to mind for me is fishing for redfish on the coast uh, in the Gulf of Mexico, Texas, Louisiana, wherever, anywhere down there. And um, there's a lot of times you can be working down the bank and you can be standing up 
and just kind of paddling through, depending on if you got a kayak, you can stand up in. And there are times that I will actually paddle right over the fish on top of them before they realize that I'm there and they take off. And there've been times sneaking up behind redfish that I've been able to just toss my bait right out there in front of them. I mean, not cast, I'm talking just toss it out there and they go eat it because they have no clue that you're there. And so depending on what kind of hole slap you're getting on your, on your kayak, um, sometimes those waves will come in just right and you'll get a little slap on them and how, how shallow you are. But that doesn't really seem to matter. We catch a lot of, a lot of fish right underneath the boat uh, in a kayak. And we start seeing, I start to see more and more bass anglers turn off their electronics and, um, and try not to, to use their, their trolling motors when they start coming into a lot of these areas. And they're, they're really slowing down and focusing on stealth in a lot of situations, especially when a fish is on a bed. And in a kayak, you can slip up and a lot of times you can catch a fish on one cast on a bed that a boater is typically going to need 30 minutes to catch just because you do have that stealth to slide in there. And also you can slip into these little backwater creeks that, um, you know, typically a boat's going to be banging around or can't even fit in. And you can just kind of slide right back there and fish it all. And I mean, you're catching, catching fish on the bank five feet away from you uh, and they have no clue that you're there. So it's a really, it's a, it's a cool deal, but also you're talking about the wind and everything. So the advantage advantage with the kayak is, yeah, you're in a smaller area, but you got all these windy conditions out there. So you look at a map and you find out where the wind isn't going to be so bad. And you go and you fish in that isolated area and you stay there. And if the wind lays down, then you go out onto the main lake. And honestly, these kayaks handle big waves extremely well. You need to learn how to, how to maneuver them um, because when you're going with the waves, a lot of times they'll try to spin you. But for the most part, like boat wakes and things like that, um, you get real comfortable with that about just letting the waves just go right underneath you. And so they, they really are very safe. Usually when somebody flips a kayak, it's because they've panicked, um, you know, a wave hit just wrong and it kind of threw you off kilter a little bit and you lean too much one way or the other. Um, with the Hobies, I find that um, when people say they flip their kayak, they really mean they rolled out of it. The kayaks themselves don't typically flip that much, although they, they will, everything can, you know, we, we filmed a lot of TV shows out in extreme conditions and, you know, take these boats into places where we can test out the limits of them. But 99.9% um, .9 of all people will never test those limits like that. So stealth, big water, Whatever it is, it's what I love about kayaks is the versatility. You can go on the big water. You can go into the stealthy situations. You can get kayaks with pedals, so you don't have to paddle the whole way. You can work your way in with the pedals, and if you feel like that's too much, you can take the pedals out, or you can lock them in an up position and grab your paddle and work your way through. Why? One reason why I'm a big Hobie fan is because their kayaks are real easy to, to maneuver. They're very stable. I can stand up in most of them, you know, and I can access that skinny water. This portion of the podcast is brought to you by the Bow Spider. If you haven't heard of the Bow Spider yet, you'll have to go to bowspider.com and see what it's all about. If you're a bow hunter and you want to go hands-free in the field, you really need a Bow Spider packing system. Out here in the West, cover a lot of miles and it's good to be able to put your bow on your back or on your side and get a little break from toting it around the field. The bow spider packing system has a lot of different options. You can use it in tree stands. You can use it on the headrest of your truck to transport your bow. You can put it on your pack and carry it around on your back. You can also put it on your side. So if you haven't checked it out, go to bowspider.com and check out the bow spider. You can also go to YouTube and type in Bow Spider and go to their channel. They have how-to videos to show you exactly how to use their products. Again, you can check out the Bow Spider by going to bowspider.com. Again, that's bowspider.com. Now back to the show. Yeah, I think it's great that, you know, it's become a bigger deal out here in the West because it does save a lot of money, especially with gas prices right now. Like it's uh, it's an appealing way to go fishing because then you're not yeah. towing around that huge fiberglass boat, right? And like you said, Boat prices are just insane. 
like I, I've been watching over the last few years, just my eyes keep getting bigger because it's like I can't even believe how expensive they've become. You know, you talked about something earlier and I want to transition to this a little bit is you talked about filming and some of the cool mm-hmm. places you've been. And I just wondered if you could talk a little bit about where your passion for the filming comes from, you know, you know, kind of what really sparked that in you and just some of the fun places you've been able to go. Just talk about those a little bit more. Yeah. So the filming side of stuff is, goes way back to childhood. I've always loved cameras. I've loved photography. I've loved um, anything creative. My dad was a very creative man, a lot of music, and he was doing radio ads when I was 15. He was he was doing a lot of radio ads. His clients wanted him to do some TV ads. So he showed up at home with a camera one day and he handed it to me and said, here, teach me how to use this. So I learned how to run video cameras, you know, and I was always real big into writing and journalism and high school and, and those things. And um, and I found the cameras and I just fell in love with them at 15. Kept on doing that through college, worked my way up um, in television news station to directing the 10 o'clock newscasts and, and then found a job in the outdoors because it's like, I love filming. I love the outdoors. I wonder how I can make a job out of this. And I found a company that was hiring in Texas for a, for a producer. And so I came in, they hired me to come in and start editing a fishing show. And in three months, I was shooting their hunting show, their fishing show, editing the fishing show. And, you know, I just learned that when, um, when you have an aptitude to do this stuff and a desire, and you want to do these things that people will start giving you more and more, you know, because when you're excited about it and, um, and you work hard, all of that opens up. And so I learned real quick that I didn't like being behind the computer. Editing is what opened the door for me. But when I started shooting and going out on these hunts and everything, I learned that uh, my place is in the outdoors, that I can stare at nature a lot longer and easier than I can stare at a computer screen. And while I did did and still do some editing work, my passion is to be out there in the middle of it. And I also knew that that uh, I had to make a choice. And and there, were, there was a real choice that I that uh, I feel like the Lord put on me out of college. And that was, I could go and I could seek adventure or I could seek money. And I felt like he would bless me either way, but I said, I want adventure. And so, you know, I went and I went and did that. I had job offers to go and do television news stuff and go and work in, in sports and, and things like that. It would be a great career path because I could go and do Monday night football and whatever else, but that's not where my heart was. My heart was in the outdoors. And so I took, picked up that camera and we went to any, anywhere and everywhere that they asked me to go. And I was still young and in shape and, and it was a challenge. It was, you know, man versus nature. And you go and you learn something about yourself and, you know, and every boy has that question, you know, am I a man? Am I, do I have what it takes to do this? And, um, and there was that challenge of me proving that. And so I loved it. I mean, stack on, 60 pounds worth of gear and, and uh, put it on my back and I'm going to go run up those mountains and those mountains aren't going to beat me. And, you know, I eventually grew out of that, but, um, it was really fun at a young age to, to do that. Africa. I mean, we've been had a lion, a full grown lion stand up 30 yards away from me. He was laying in the grass and I was sending everybody else off to get a camera shot of them walking off into the distance. And then all of a sudden they're to walk off. I'm there by myself and a lion stands up next to me. And it's like, uh, am I supper or do I just get to look at you? And, uh, luckily he turned and went the other way, but you know, these are some of the things that, that, uh, the adventure and some of the things, the blessings, you know, there's a lot of hard with that stuff. You know, we got chased by, charged by elephants. We, um, you know, been face to face with Cape Buffalo and, you know, almost fell off a mountain in Alaska on a, on a mountain goat hunt. Um, there's been a lot of death defying adventures and it's like, okay, these are things that we're doing just to go and get video of an animal in a hunt. And, you know, and I thought my desire was to go and pull the trigger and, and hunt all of these animals. And I realized that um, I found more enjoyment out of capturing the story. If I caught, if I captured the story properly and was able to tell the story of this hunt and this animal and, um, and the beauty of the region, then I, then I'd done something greater than squeezing the trigger to kill an animal. Mm-hmm. And, um, and I really enjoyed that. And, um, and then later on, I really started finding enjoyment in filming kids and taking kids hunting. I worked with a TV show called majesty outdoors, uh, which they haven't, I don't think they've been on the air for the last couple of years, but, um, we would take fatherless kids 
on hunting trips and fishing trips and just seeing the joy on them as they learn how to shoot a rifle for the first time, as they see these animals for the first time, as they get to harvest an animal and do it ethically. And, you know, just seeing how God really worked in those situations was, uh, was beautiful and how the outdoors really transitioned in their lives on the fishing trips and the hunting trips and things like that was really beautiful. And of course the tournament side of stuff, I got into tournaments, filming tournaments and well, it started in 2001, but really 2004 and five is when it really started to blossom. And then everything just transitioned that direction, you know, to bass tournaments, walleye tournaments, all ages, high school, all the way up to the pros. Um, and, and those are fun and they keep me busy. Yeah. And you were talking about kids and I know you, you and I talked before about the kids outdoor zone and some of that. So can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah. Kids outdoor zone is uh, very dear to my heart because they kind of mentored me as an adult, I'll say in a, in a way I learned with, with kids outdoor zone that, uh, the kids aren't the only ones that get blessed in all of this. So they're an organization that takes fatherless boys and mentors them and and teaches them about the outdoors and God and Jesus and where, where our creator is in this outdoor and outdoors and helps initiate these boys into becoming men. There's something healing and beautiful about, about the outdoors. And we just see that boys are not being initiated into manhood. And I can for myself. Even though my dad was around, I come from a split family, but my dad never initiated me into manhood. And I even, I still don't know what that necessarily means. I mean, I think I know what it means. I see what it, what we try to pour into other kids and especially fatherless boys. But, um, you know, dads don't, were never initiated into manhood. They don't know how to pass these things on. You know, nobody, nobody taught your dad how to be a dad. And nobody taught his dad how to be a dad. And we've got all these generations of men not knowing what it means to be a dad or a father or a mentor. And, you know, and their dad, dad may not be around at all. So how do we make men? We see the effects of it. And we see it in the secular world. Every Father's Day, you start seeing all the statistics out there about all the kids that are not uh, all these fatherless boys that are in prison or, you know, the, the biggest epidemic or pandemic in the nation is fatherlessness right now. It's much bigger and much worse than COVID could ever be. And, you know, and it's leading to a lot of problems in society. So what are we going to do about that? Well, Kids Outdoor Zone is really strong in stepping in to take fatherless boys and train them or not train them, but encourage them and mentor them to be men. And the, the TV show that I just told you about majesty outdoors, they do the same thing. They do do boys and girls, um, and take them and introduce them to the outdoors. And the outdoors is just a great way for people to come and experience Christ, to learn something about yourself. The story that I told you about me getting into the outdoors and having to conquer the mountain and things like that, you know, what was written in my heart on that is the same thing that's written on the hearts of all of these boys, but they don't have anybody to take them to show them what it means to be a man. And in a broken home, being raised by, by mother is a, I mean, single mothers are amazing, amazing people. I mean, I don't know how you do it and you have my respect in a big way, but a boy cannot learn to be a man from a mother. It's a really hard thing to do. And that's where groups like, like KOZ kids outdoor zone. Um, and I love their curriculum. I love their heart and I love who they are. I love the success that they've had and the track record that they have and everything about them that I recommend every church out there. If you have men in your church, look at Kids Outdoor Zones, kidsoutdoorzone.com. It's really easy to find. Go and look at them. Just look at them. Call them. Find, find out what you can do. It takes, it's one, one weekend a month is what it takes. A group of men can grab, a, have a group of boys and one weekend a month, you, uh, you go and you do something and they've got a curriculum set up for all of that. But anything that you can do to get involved, even right there in Wyoming, Pole mm-hmm. Star Outdoors is right down the road there in Cody, I believe in Cody, Wyoming. And, um, and they have a great, they're a great organization that gets kids into the outdoors. And so whether it's with Majesty Outdoors, Kids Outdoor Zone, Pole Star Outdoors, it doesn't matter. I just want to see people pour into kids and not sit around and keep talking about, well, if these kids would get outside and do something um, or, well, we need more people mentoring and taking kids fishing. Like, well, you know what? That starts with you. That starts with me. And that starts with us, you know, stepping into things. And if we need help with that, 
Kids Outdoor Zone will help you with that. Polestar Outdoors will help you with that. Majesty Outdoors will help you with that. It's there. It's at your grasp. Let's quit talking about it and let's do something about it. Yeah, I'm glad you brought that up. I I was thinking back to my childhood. I was very blessed. Um, My friend Seth Ewing, we did a podcast with him a while back. He did one of those trips to see what he was made of. He did 240 Mm -hmm. miles in the Swiss Alps in 16 days. And he found out what he was made of, right? And it Uh was a very difficult trip. And one of the quotes from that that stuck with me is he said, you know, it's interesting to see when you get squeezed what comes out Mm -hmm. and the kind of reflection that he had. But when we were kids, he and I grew up together. and, And when we were little, his dad started a program through his church called Boot Camp. And what mm-hmm. it was, it was for young men to take them up into the woods, you know, so we'd go camping, we'd go fish on a river, but we would spend time outdoors and, you know, we would spend time studying the Bible together, but we'd also just do boy things, right? Like we played capture the flag, you know, in the dark, mm-hmm. you know, in the woods, which is really cool, by the way, when it's a full moon and uh, you get in your oh, dark clothes man. and yep. go out there and play, you know, and so we did a lot of that growing up, but the message was always kind of what you're talking about, teaching you you know, values and then, you know, how to be a man. And I think in our society, that's really just kind of gone by the wayside. And it's unfortunate because like you said, you look at statistics and fatherless homes, you know, think the the chances for that young man are not good. You know, they need that direction in their life and they need that mentorship and they need that support. And, mm-hmm. uh, you know, I'm excited about Kids Outdoor Zone because that's that's a really cool way to get started. And the fact that they have a curriculum, because I think with a lot of people, the biggest barriers, they're like, I don't know where to start, you know? And, and right. so that gives them a starting point. You know, for me, I just like to take kids fishing. It's like, Hey, come with us. Mm-hmm. You know, we'll all go fishing together, show you how to, you know, cast, show you how to tie a knot maybe, or whatever it is. But kids really enjoy that. And it's, you know, young, young boys, young girls, they, they all really enjoy that. So that's an easy place to start too. If you know how to fish, just take somebody to the lake and show them something really basic and try to, it's like when we had Al Linder on, he talked about this, just get the kid bit, take them to a lake with, you know, bluegills, yellow perch, whatever, get them on something where they get to catch something. Cause then they get really Mm -hmm. excited and that's, you know, it's like the best thing ever. But I also wanted you to kind of, because I think this is a good segue point, but talk about the ministry that you've started kind of in the kayak tournaments and, and on Facebook and, and those kind of things. Just kind of talk about that and, you know, how all that began and kind of what you're doing there. Yeah. So the, the way the way it all began is, um, is I, I asked God for humility and he humbled me. And it sucked. Be careful what you pray for, right? I mean, I was in my deepest, darkest hardest place and God really started coming from my heart, uh, which I was already a Christian and, um, and following, um, following Jesus and, you know, felt like I had a pretty good relationship with Jesus and, and God gave me the opportunity to, to go deeper with him. And he called me deeper. And, you know, the Bible says many are called, but few are chosen, you know, you have to walk into it. And, um, and I was going through a really dark time in my life but also building a huge kayak tournament in the midst of it all. And the one thing that I wanted to do in that kayak at that kayak tournament was to have a fellowship. And the whole point of the fellowship was the the, kind of the, the mantra or mission statement that I have, if you will, is life is hard. It's a lot easier when we can do it together. We weren't meant to do this life alone. We weren't meant to walk through everything together. And that's a big lie that the enemy puts on us, even as kids, you know, that you don't need anybody else. And it's agreement that we make in our lives that, that if you want it done right, you got to do it yourself and don't let, don't ever show fear. Don't ever show weakness. Don't ever let anybody know what's going on, you know, because they're sharks, they smell blood. They're going to come and devour you. And it's a big lie. And I wanted to expose that lie. And I wanted fellowship. And I wanted people to know that we can do this together. And it's a lot easier together because I needed that. So I kind of started all of this out of my own necessity than, um, than anything else. Uh, and we, we did our first, first one in, I think, 2018, had our first meeting. And it was amazing because we got together as, as men and women and, and just got to talk about how the out doors comes and rescues us, how kayak fishing has changed our lives. And there were people there that were 
had been struggling with alcoholism and AA wasn't working, but they found kayak fishing and that got them out on the water and it helped change their whole life. And, you know, what it means to get out there and really see God and, and his creation and Jesus and his love and, and learn who we are as warriors. Why the battle mentality? Why do we have to go out in a little plastic boat um, out in the out in the waves and the wind and and the cold and the heat and go and try to catch a little fish? And, you know, in the competition side of that, you know, it's just the warrior mentality of us. And so as kayak fishing and tournaments started to grow and I was a part of that, I realized that more and more people were traveling to these events, but they weren't going to church because these, these events are, are Saturday and Sunday. And so they're not going to, they're not going to a regular church service. And so why can't we provide that? And why can't we have this camaraderie out on the road? Um, because it is a very tight-knit community. It's a community where we tend to spend more time with each other than we do with other people in our other communities, because that's what we do. We go fish all over the country. So we just started the, started, turned it into a kayak fisherman's fellowship. Some men jumped in to help me, Matt Ball and Darren Jaton, and we're growing from there. Um, but we started doing fellowship meetings at all the tournaments that we can. And, uh, and it was really tough during COVID because we didn't actually meet up for a lot of the tournaments, but we still found ways to get together. And we're finding that it's a lot easier for people to speak one-on-one -on -one with friends and peers than a lot of times it is to go to, go to the church and go to the pastor and go to the people in your normal community. You know, a lot of times you don't want to air out your dirty laundry to, you know, your friend at church whom you love, but lives next door to you. And you don't want to you know, to know too much about what's going on in your life. And this creates a safe space for that. And plus we're just always together. And I feel like God gave us all a language. You know, we, my language, I speak kayak fishing. I speak fishing. I speak outdoors. Um, the people that I'm, that are together for these kayak tournaments, we all speak the same language. My brother who, uh, was a meth addict and the Lord freed him from that. And he went to prison for it. Um, but God used it all as a rescue and he's an amazing man of God right now. He can speak that language to, um, to people going through that stuff so much better than I can. I can't just walk in and immediately be able to speak that language. He can, I can walk in to a group of kayakers and a group of fishermen and speak that language and we can connect. And you've been out there, you've been in the outdoors, you've seen God in the outdoors, you know where he is. I can speak to your heart on that and you can speak to my heart on that. Whereas somebody who grew up in the city, if they come out and they start talking to you about city stuff, it's kind of going to be like, oh, okay, that's nice. Bye. Go back to your concrete <laughs> jungle, have fun. Yeah. Um, but God gave us a voice and we can, we can do this life together. So for the Hobie tournaments, somebody will always have a fellowship meeting. It's not a preaching. We don't get in there and preach. We do it together. So whoever's leading has a topic. We sit down, we start talking and where the Lord takes it, he takes it. And everybody gets to put their input in because I'm only 44 years old. I'm not an expert at life. I certainly haven't done it right my entire life. And so, you know, maybe we can reverse a lot of this stuff together and maybe we can go out into the outdoors and maybe we can show the love of Christ and maybe people can see Jesus in us. And in the midst of competition, competition's ugly. Just it always is. <laughs> and so maybe a few of us can be out there and uh, show the love of Christ in this and change some hearts. Yeah, I think that's wonderful because I think one of the things I've noticed over the last few decades is you have a breakdown of communities and affinity mm -hmm. groups. You, you know, people are very scattered and broken apart part. And I think it's that mentality of, well, I can just do all this on my own. I don't need anybody mm -hmm. else. And that has been catastrophic, in my opinion, for our society. And seeing groups like what you've done, I think that's really important. You need community. You need yeah. people in your life that, again, you're not meant to do this by yourself. Like life is much more rich having other people in your life and doing it together, celebrating together, crying together when things don't go well, mm -hmm. like you need each other. And so I think it's wonderful that you're doing that. And when I was growing up, the rodeo scene, you know, it's Cheyenne Frontier Days. They always had like a cowboy church type deal because yeah. I mean, those guys and gals, they're running all over. It's the same thing as fishing tournaments. Mm -hmm. You're driving, 
you're hurrying, you're getting to a place, you're competing, then you pack up and you do it all over again. And it just never stops. And so for them, that was just so great because they could stop for a little bit and have that community and have that affinity group and and just be Mm -hmm. vulnerable and say, yeah, I'm dealing with stuff too and working through that together. And something I want to note is uh, we are not a replacement to church. And that is something that definitely don't want to do because I deeply encourage people to go and find a home church. And we hear all the time, well, I don't want to go there because that's where all the hypocrites are and blah, blah, blah. I'm like, well, you know what? Maybe you're, maybe God can send you there and you can speak to them, or maybe you can go and actually seek God instead of man. But I encourage everybody to get into, into church one way or another. Pray for your pastor, pray for your church, go in and see what God has for you there and always have a home church. And, you know, the ministry that we do on the road, when we can get together and fellowship, just know that the remnant is strong. And there are many men and women of God all over the country and all over the world, not just in your church. But when you're home, please go in and find a home church. We actually have, I call them home churches all across the country. You know, when on Sunday, when we're in different regions, we're, we've got churches that we go to in every region and just absolutely love them. But we don't want to do that. We want to just continue that when you can't be there or when you want to to, uh, do some mission work, when you want to do something different, that's what we want to do. Yeah. So I want to transition to the next thing because yeah, I mean, you've been bass fishing for a long time. Mm-hmm. And so somebody's getting into bass fishing. What are some of the essential things that they ought to have on hand if they're going to start doing that? Because bass are well distributed <laughs> across the oh, country. Gosh. I mean, you can find them pretty much anywhere. Like we don't have a ton here. Like it's mainly trout and walleye, but we do have bass. And so for the listeners that are following this show, like what would you recommend, you know, having all this experience in bass fishing for kind of like a good starter pack, you know, how do you get started? <laughs> um, that is a loaded question. because <laughs> Without breaking the bank, right? Oh, <laughs> uh, well, I mean, every region has different, different things. And I don't know mm-hmm. what you're fishing. Are you fishing rivers? Are you fishing streams? Are you fishing creeks? Are you fishing lakes? Are you fishing reservoirs? There's so many different ways. Are you fishing for black bass? Are you fishing for smallmouth bass? Are you fishing for Florida strain bass? I mean, all of these bass do different things. <laughs> I would say you can almost always catch a bass on a worm, on an old school Berkeley power bait, power worm, a Cinco. I think anywhere in the country, you can catch a fish on a Cinco, um, on a trick worm and on a Ned rig. And so those are just three different baits. Learn to cast, start out with a spinning reel and a rod. I mean, you probably find a combo for 30 bucks at any big box store. Learn to cast that, put some better line on it. Got really three basic lines. You got fluorocarbon line, which is a clear line. You got monofilament line and you've got braided line, which is your darkest line and kind of learn the differences between those. Learn to tie knots. That's a big thing. Sunline.com. Sunline is a line company. They have a place in their, on their website where they have the amazing animations that will teach you how to tie a whole bunch of different knots. And, you know, start with one, learn it and stick with it. And then when you feel confident with that one, then go and learn another one. And then you can do some more research on that as you become more interested in it. But start with easy baits, which a worm and a hook, typically you can start with a three slash zero, which is a three-aught hook and put a little weight on the top of it, a bullet weight, and then put a worm on there, Texas rig it. And I'd say, look, look up how to Texas rig a worm. And I would do that with a Cinco to start with, or you can go and you can get a little, little shaky head as they, they call it, which is... It stands, stands up, you have the weight on the bottom and then the hook that comes up on top and it'll ha- allow your worm to stand up and you can put a trick worm on that, um, which is made by Zoom or Cinco, which is just a stick worm. Cinco is the brand from Yamamoto baits, but you can find a lot of different companies that make that same style bait. I think that'll catch fish anywhere in the country. Your weight de- determines how fast it's, your bait's going to fall in the water. And that's a weedless presentation. So when you learn how to put the hook in it properly, I would look online to see how to rig that up properly. There's videos and everything all over the place. I can't really talk through it right now without going into great detail. (laughs) But yeah, get online and learn how to do a Texas rig. And you can throw that in grass. You can throw it in rocks. You can throw it in 20 foot of water. You can throw it in six inches of water. And you can catch fish all the way through. And so I say start there. Your rod and reel, it doesn't matter. No matter where you start at, if you start out with a $500 setup or a $30 setup um, in a year, you're going to want something new anyways. 
Yeah, I think people get too wrapped up in, well, I have to have this super fancy bait caster and I have to have this super fancy this and that. And it's like, you really don't need to do that. It's like you said, a, a basic spinning reel, which will leave you a lot less frustrated, especially if you're a new fisherman. Like if you try to start yeah. with a bait caster, you're going to be very frustrated with bird nesting and different things like that. You just have to get that dialed in, get that muscle memory and figure that out, which I encourage mm -hmm. everyone to work up to that. But like you said, a spinning reel is a great place to start. You can yeah. buy those combos really inexpensive. Get the right size. They have a whole bunch of different sizes. And so some brands call it a 20, some call it a 2000 or a 200, but basically a two or a three size spinning reel, get a medium rod and it, it can be a medium fast, but that's just a good mid range, all of all around rod. If you get one too light, then you can't throw heavier baits on it. And that what light means, if the tip is too flimsy, then you can't really throw heavy baits on it. If you get one that's too stiff, then you can't throw really light baits on it. But if you get that happy medium, which would be probably a medium fast or a medium yeah. moderate, and a size 2000 to 3000 size reel. And then you don't have to put tons and tons of line on it. The 2000 is going to work for just about anything bass fishing. You're going to be able to cast as far as you can cast with it. But I think that's important to know. Yeah. For my kids, they each have like a middle of the road, like Shimano reel, you know, pretty mm -hmm. basic model, a medium rod with a fast action tip so that they can yeah. cast those lighter baits and then six pound monofilament. And you can fish for just about anything and everything with that setup. You know, it could be rainbow trout. It could be smallmouth bass. It could be largemouth bass. It could mm -hmm. be walleye. You can catch everything on it and it's fairly forgiving. And so, yeah. Beautiful. I'm, and you don't have to spend a whole bunch of money, <laughs> which is mm -hmm. good, right? But yeah, man, it's been so good having you on the show. I've, I've really enjoyed chatting with you and getting to know you a little bit. And so if people wanted to like kind of follow what you're doing and see what's going on in your Hobie bass fishing tournaments and whatnot, how do they mm -hmm. follow you? How do they kind of see what's going on? So I'd say get onto the Hobie Bass Fishing Group on Facebook. Everything runs through Facebook. I'm not a fan of Facebook. I hate to promote Facebook, but <laughs> unfortunately, that's where we socialize these days. So yep. Hobie Bass Open Series, you can find them on Facebook group. You can find them on the website. Fisherman's Fellowship. Right now, Fisherman's Fellowship is on Facebook. Hopefully here soon, we'll have the webpage up and start working in that direction. And then we'll start working on YouTube and getting more, more content out. And that's a big thing that we're working on this summer, getting organized there. Uh, you can find me personally on Facebook. A lot of times just send me a friend request. If I don't know you, I'm probably not going to accept the friend request, but you'll be able to follow everything that I'm putting out there on that stuff. But my personal Facebook is typically more just for family and friends, but I don't, uh, I make everything public on all of that. That way, uh, you know, if you're going to get the word of Christ out, then uh, I don't see any reason to keep anything private on any of that. So you can follow it for sure. Other than that, I don't know. We just try to live. Yeah. Spend more time yeah. living than, than socializing on Facebook. <laughs> Although we do, we have been doing a whole bunch of photo dumps because we've been on a huge vacation. So it's kind of been, been cool. It's been fun to watch that. And it looks like you guys are having a good time. <laughs> so my last question is, when are you coming to Wyoming to uh, come fishing with me? Oh gosh, I would love to say tomorrow, <laughs> man, you, you have no idea how much it's on my heart to be there in Wyoming. Cause I want to be there in such a bad way. We love that. We went through there on our honeymoon. That's actually the last time we saw Bobby. Mm -hmm. And, uh, I told my wife, I'm like, we're on our honeymoon, but this is all about us, but I'm sorry. We got to stop it <laughs> and, uh, and see my friend. And, yeah. uh, so we, we stopped by there and, um, we found a church in Wapiti, Wyoming that we absolutely love just right outside of of um cody wyoming definitely has a, a special place in my heart and i want to go trout fishing yeah so we need two days so i'll take you bass fishing you take me trout fishing let's do it yeah we'll have to figure that out that's been one of the best things about this podcast and getting to meet cool people like yourself and mm -hmm. you know hopefully we can connect at some point and get the pleasure of going out on the water and just enjoying it together that'd be great i'd love it all right, man. Well, thanks again for coming on the show. And uh, yeah, we'll be watching what you do and following you along. Right on, man. I appreciate it, Patrick. You got any more questions, hit me up. I can talk a lot more. All right, man. Thank you. Thanks again for listening to the Radcast Outdoors podcast. We hope that you've enjoyed the show. If so, please go to Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you're listening to this podcast and subscribe, share, and give us a five-star rating, which really helps other people find the show. 
You can find all of our shows, recipes, giveaways, videos, and much more at ragcastoutdoors.com. While you're there, please help support the show by purchasing a Radcast Outdoors shirt or hat. Please don't forget to follow us on Facebook and Instagram. We also have a Radcast community on Facebook called Radcast Nation, and we'd love for you to join in the conversation there. And of course, please help support our sponsors who make this show possible. Thank you again to PK Lures, Bow Spider, and High Mountain Seasonings. Until next time, get out there and enjoy the outdoors.